Welcome to the Sunday Preaching Podcast of The Point Church, located in Perdido Key, Florida. We believe strongly in the expositional preaching of God's Word that builds our faith and grows us up in Christ. I'm glad you're either downloading the sermon or listening live, and I pray that this message is a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join me as we get to the point. Amen. I want you for just a second to imagine a family. Let's call them the Taylors. I don't know of anybody in the room with the last name Taylor. If that's you, I apologize. I Googled common names in America, and that was one of the ones that came up that didn't have a family in our church. But the Taylors live in a spacious suburban home. They have everything that you could want. They have great appliances, smart technology, well-manicured lawn, a nice new car in the driveway, and it's paid off. Can you believe it? And everything seems picture perfect. But if you were to take a little bit of a closer look into the Taylor's life, you would start to see that there's some things that aren't quite adding up. There is a subtle but persistent dissatisfaction that they're experiencing in their life. Miss Taylor is typically scrolling through social media. She navigates through the endless algorithms that are presented to her, and she is falling into the trap of comparing herself to every other family that she sees. Everything looks so perfect, and she's so upset that her life doesn't look as perfect as what she's seeing every single day. She has a loving husband and two beautiful children, but she often feels inadequate and unfulfilled with her life. Mr. Taylor has a successful career, but he can't shake the nagging feeling that something's missing. He spends so much time working to provide for his family, and he at times has lost sight of what truly matters. This scenario is not unique to the Taylors. This is commonplace for us. The majority of families that we would take time to see fits this exact description. But what if I told you, man, the Taylors are believers. They believe in God. They faithfully attend church. They faithfully tithe. Surely they shouldn't have dissatisfaction. Can we just be honest for a second and say that all of us struggle with being human? We're not perfect. We are human beings. We're going to look at this idea a little bit deeper here in just a moment. but. We have to understand that our reality can become blurred and our perception of that reality can be harmed whenever we fail to recognize who God is and who we are. Philippians chapter 4 verses 10 through 20 is where we're going to be today and we're concluding this book of Philippians and it has been an incredible journey looking at the life of joy that Paul is communicating to the church. But man, as we look at ideas of joy, Paul's life doesn't seem to add up to joy. He speaks about working through the most difficult moments of life, and he gives us hope as to how to find contentment and joy in our life. Let's start in verse 10. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You are indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned In whatever situation, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. 
Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And may my God and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. How are you doing? I want you to think for just a moment about your life, about the set of circumstances that you find yourself in. Some of you, life's going pretty well, and you're excited about the Christmas season. Uh, God may have met a need in your life. Some of you, and life may be really hard right now. You may be in the midst of a difficult moment, or you may have some needs that you feel like need to be met. But I want you to think for just a second about what you need to meet your, your need. What is that? Is it a new car? Now look, you may say, wait a minute, you're about to be all spiritual. And look, some of us just, your, your car may be on its last leg and you need some wheels to have reliable transportation to get to work, okay? That is a real physical need. Some of you, man, you may say, man, I just need some more square footage in my house. You may have, have had some children and they've come in and man, th- space is just getting a little bit tight and you're wanting some sanity, okay? So maybe it's that your bills have gone up or man, inflation's just really hitting you and you just need a little bit more just to make ends meet. The reality is if I went around the room and asked that question, I would get all kinds of different answers. Everybody would have one some need that we feel that we hope that God would meet. But the reality is, as God meets our needs, we seem to have this habit of needing more. There's another need that's going to come behind this one. And when we put our hope in material things, whether that's money, isn't it something that if you get a raise, you have all these great ideas and plans about what you're going to use it for, and then it seems to go to something else? And then you need another raise, right? It's just this cycle that we keep going in. The more that we have, we just need a little bit more. There's never satisfaction that we experience through stuff, right? I heard somebody say one time that if you want to be happy for an hour, take a nap. If you want to be fish, if you want to uh, be happy for a day, go fishing. If you want to be happy for a year, win the lottery. Um, I thought, man, winning the lottery only makes you happy for a year because material things don't give us Hey, most people who come into windfalls like that become broke faster than they came into it. That's just the reality of what we, what we see, what we know. The point is, contentment doesn't come through stuff, through more things. I'm not trying to make you feel bad about those things. I'm trying to paint the picture that this is a real human issue that we're all dealing with. We all deal with these things. And that's just part of what it means to, to live in this world. But we seem to live in the most prosperous time in history. And I know you may say, okay, what, all right, we have indoor plumbing, y'all, okay? That's, I'm glad that we've got that. There is, we've had that for less time than we have, have done without it in history. And I thank God that I was born in, in this time, okay? But we can lose sight on what we have and focus on what we don't have. So that scenario that I gave you a few minutes ago, man, you may find yourself in that. And you may think there's something wrong with me. You may think that about yourself. Look, I'm seeking the Lord. I come to church. I may I spend time in prayer. I spend time in quiet time, but I still feel a little bit dissatisfied with what's going on. 
I want to tell you that it's okay. It's okay. You know, there's really nowhere in the New Testament that says that we're supposed to be just like Jesus. We can't do that. We can't do that. We are not the holy, uncreated one. He is. We're told to pursue him, to become Christ-like. That doesn't mean that we become identical to Jesus. Some of you need to understand that the standard that God has for you is not perfection. It's being faithful and seeking after him. It's not in perfection. Perfection is a terrible God. So as we unpack these 10 verses, we're going to look at what makes us complete followers of Jesus. So we're going to start in verse number 10. And what I want you to see first is there is a source of contentment. There's a source of contentment. Paul says this in verse number 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Let me explain what is happening here because Philippi was the first location that Paul went and he planted a church. This is the first one. These people were dear to his heart. I want you to picture this as Paul comes in, surely being called by God to come and do this work. Paul probably thought, I wonder if this is actually going to happen, right? God's called you to do something. Maybe you have some anxiety about that and Paul's faithful and God plants this church and they had this great relationship together. But eventually, Paul would have to leave those people in Philippi to go to a new place to plant a new church. And as he leaves and he goes to Thessalonica, the Philippians continue to support Paul. They have a relationship with him. Now, of course, they, uh, of course, lost sight of, of what Paul was doing uh, in day, day by day as he continued to move to a different place, okay? They didn't have cell phones to just ring Paul's phone. Hey, Paul, where are you today? Uh, in fact, they sent, once word got to the people of Philippi that Paul was in prison, they sent Epaphroditus 800 miles to go track Paul down. Now, this didn't jump in the car and cruise down the interstate and go find Paul. No, this was a long journey that Epaphroditus had to go through just to reach where Paul was in prison to bring him these words of encouragement. So that's why Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern. It's been a long time since he's heard from them. Surely you have a relationship with someone that if you look down and you saw their name pop up on your phone today, a smile would come to your face. Man, it's a friendship that maybe you have relocated. Nothing went wrong, just life happened and you may have grown apart from some people and you look down and you see that person's name and you are reminded of that joy of that relationship. That's what Paul is writing about here, that he is so thankful and grateful for this special relationship that he has with the Philippian church. His his gratitude is not based on what they are able to do for him, but it is in the relationship that he has with them. When someone is experiencing difficulty or they have experienced a loss and you were to go and pick up a sympathy card, typically on the inside of that, it's going to say, thinking of you, thinking of you. I want you to process that for just a second because there is power in knowing that you are not alone in what you're going through in life. God has created us to live in community. That's one of the reasons that we have the local church, so that we can pray for each other, so we can encourage each other, so that we can help each other uh, recognize where God is at work. So the Philippians are reminding Paul, you are not alone in this. You have brought the gospel to us, and this is a good work that is continuing to happen. Yes, he was. it was good for them to send a care package to Paul to help provide for his needs, but he is so thankful for this relationship that he has. Verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, 
for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in every, in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Over the last several weeks, we've been looking at this Greco-Roman culture and we have been seeing uh, what their values were. Let me give you a quick reminder, okay? Also, obviously, they worship Caesar as their God, but their values are pretty decent, right? Their values are serenity, order, and stability, right? We would look at that and say, man, we need more of that. Like right now, that would be a good thing. But this came out of a way of thinking that started in the fourth century BC, okay, called Stoicism, okay? And there's a reason that we're gonna kind of unpack this idea because Stoicism was based in the belief that we were to suppress our emotions, not be ruled by anything, but that inner peace comes from within, okay? So we just kind of center ourselves. And, and of course, I'm simplifying this belief system a little bit. But why are we spending time talking about Stoicism? Stoicism is something that is on the rise today, okay? Um, when I scroll through social media feeds and things, people in the first service were nodding with me. I see people posting their daily devotions that they're doing out of, uh, out of this book on Stoicism. It's called The Daily Stoic. People are spending time uh, and they're, they're having their little meditations and times not on scripture, but on something that says talking about yourself as your source of inner peace, okay? This is something that is coming after uh, this current generation and we need to be aware of it because Paul is expertly making an argument saying, I have learned the secret to this thing that everybody around you is looking for. I've learned the secret and it doesn't come from within you. It doesn't come from stoicism. It comes from Jesus. It comes from him who strengthens me. It doesn't come from within. It comes from without. It's so important that we understand that Paul says, I have learned how to do this. You know, very often when we speak of the gospel, we think of the moment of salvation and we think that's what the gospel's for. And the gospel is absolutely for transformation for people who are dead in their trespasses to come into life. But we have to continually preach the gospel to ourselves over and over and over again, reminding ourselves that God is the one who's in control and we are his servants who are doing his will in his vineyard, okay? It's, why is that so important? Y'all, life's difficult. We just looked at a whole lot of different reasons that we may experience anxiety and fear, and we have needs that we feel like uh, need to be met, but we need to have a reality check to recognize that God is the one who is in control. Um, as I was, we, this semester, we've been teaching the gospel of Matthew to our students, and time and time again, Jesus uses this phrase, deny yourself, deny yourself. And he uses it over and over again. The apostle Paul actually uses it as well. And the reason that Jesus and Paul tell us to deny ourselves so many times is that it goes against everything that we, everything that we think. We think, oh, I need to go get this. I need to do whatever I need to do to get exactly what it is that I want. But Paul says, no, 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 no. I have learned the secret to contentment. So let's talk about Paul for just a second because he was raised as a Pharisee. He was born into a family that had great means. He went, he had the best education. He was raised uh, with the Pharisees, with experts, and he even persecuted the church because he thought that's what was bringing God glory, was hunting down these believers, okay? So what happened to him? Of course, Jesus struck him down. Paul was blinded 
and recognized that Jesus was Lord. He was saved. And he begins pursuing the Lord. So here, here's, where, here's where we get things wrong. We think, oh, I'll give my life to Jesus. Everything's going to be good. I'll have all of the contentment from, from all of the stuff, all of the blessings that God gives to me. But here's how Paul's life changed. He went from having everything that he wanted in the way that he wanted it. And then in 2 Corinthians 11, we see a summary of Paul's hardships and sufferings. This isn't going to be on the screen. I just want to read it to you. And I want you to look for the joy in this. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A, day, a night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there is daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul says, I know how to be brought low. If anybody understood what it was like to need something, Paul understood. If anybody understood what it was like to have all that you could want, Paul understood. He's not just saying, hey, I know where you're at. Do you know that when we look at the biblical account, it doesn't matter if somebody is in the exact set of circumstances that we find ourselves in? Because when I read what Paul has been through, that's pretty bad. I've never been stoned before. I don't see joy in that, but yet he is writing this letter about living a life of joy in Christ because Paul understood this. You ready for the secret? I'm going to give it to you. Contentment doesn't come from what we have. It comes from the one that we know. Contentment doesn't come from stuff. It comes from Jesus alone. Contentment can only come through the gospel. The Stoics would say contentment comes through your mindset. It comes from yourself, but Paul is saying Contentment comes from Jesus Christ alone. If anyone was able to complain, it was Paul. If anyone was able to rejoice, it was Paul. The Lord was his source of contentment. When we are not content and we're dissatisfied with what we're experiencing in Christ, it shows more about what we think about God than what he thinks about us. Because you see, we put ourselves in this center of scripture that we're the subject and I don't know about you, my name's not anywhere in here. It's all about Jesus. It's all about God's redemptive work of mankind. But Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's no qualifications. There's no excuses. It's not, I can do all things except for this. No, he's speaking with compassion and love when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Isn't that so much more powerful than when we see that like written on a coffee mug or for a football team that's about to go out, that has nothing to do with what Paul's saying. We can experience the difficulties of life because Jesus Christ, our Lord, knows what it's like to suffer. Jesus Christ, our Lord, is the source of our hope, is the source of our strength. Corey Ten Boom said, you'll never know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. We can learn a lot from her and her testimony. Jesus Christ alone is our source of contentment. So the second thing I want you to see in verses 14 through 17 is the source of encouragement. Source of encouragement. We've all experienced discouragement in life. Things tend to not go the way that we want them to all the time. That's just part of life. 
We know from the Psalms that God is the lifter of our heads. And if you were to go into the Psalms, I remind our students of this pretty regularly, and you were to read the Psalms, the most common grouping of Psalms are Psalms of individual lament. People looking at their life circumstances, crying out to God, and it typically starts like this. Lord, there are enemies all around me. I don't see a way out. But then as the psalmist continues to write, he starts to see the provision of God and he lifts his eyes and he is reminded. So when we are struggling with contentment or discouragement, rather than complaining, we remind ourselves of who God is. We continue to preach the gospel to ourselves and it becomes an encouragement. Verse 14, Paul says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. It was kind of you to share my trouble. The encouragement that Paul had is that he was not alone. He was not alone. There's a reason that God has believers in the local church so that we can be encouraged, so that we can be edified. Do you know the purpose of the church is not just to give you uh, expository preaching, though that is very important and we believe strongly in that here at our church, but it's also to encourage you to remind you that you are not alone in this life. The Philippians are writing to Paul. They send a messenger to him to show him empathy. Empathy is something that I believe we are really lacking in today because we're very quick to demonize people rather than seeing them that they are in need of the gospel. But they send a message to Paul to show their empathy. Empathy is being able to place oneself in the position of another person and understand their emotions or feelings. They recognized that Paul was in prison, that he was probably discouraged. They said, we need to send someone to encourage our brother who has been toiling in the vineyard, doing the work of God. God has created us to live in community. We need one another. Verse 15, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. This is not a sermon on tithing, though you can make applications to tithing. The church at Philippi was the first church that Paul planted, but when he left, they didn't just say, okay, see you, bud, bye. No, they cared for him. They partnered with him. This word partnership, is really in the Greek, it's koinonia, the word for fellowship. They were partnering together for the mission of God that was continuing. It was not just the support that they sent him, but it was knowing that someone cared for them, knowing that they appreciated what he was doing, knowing that the gospel work is still continuing in this place that Paul has left, and people are continually coming in, into a relationship with Jesus. In the Greco-Roman world, the way that they viewed friendships was like a give and take kind of thing. I do my part, you do your part. I do my part, you do your part. And then if I don't do my part, then we're no longer friends. But Paul is saying, you are a source of encouragement because you have partnered with me in this. We as a church have ministry partners, not just through uh, cooperation with our Southern Baptist Convention, but we support missionaries and church planners we are taking part in the work of ministry that is happening all around the world. That's why when we say there is someone on the other side of your giving, we mean it. Because as we give to church planners, 
they're able to make sure that their needs are met and they are able to go and do the work of ministry. That's exactly what the Philippian church was doing when they were supporting Paul when he was in Thessalonica. They were making sure that he didn't have personal needs that he was worried about so that he could be out working in the vineyard. He could be toiling for, uh, he could be working for souls. He could be sharing the gospel. This kind of fellowship encourages us to continue being obedient to what God has called us to do in making disciples. And we should be encouraging one another, especially when things get tough. But notice in verse 17, he says, not that the goal is what you have sent to me, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. The fruit that increases to your credit. What is that fruit? Well, it is people whose eyes are open to their sin and they are able to repent of that and believe on Jesus. So God takes what they have sent to him through a gift, and they are receiving the blessings by enabling Paul to continue ministry. How powerful is it that we can use our words and our resources to make an eternal difference in the lives of people? As we give, we have to be reminded that we don't actually own anything. When we tithe, we are not tipping God. We are being obedient to what God has called us to do. I don't say that to guilt anybody. I say that to say there's a fruit that increases and it is to your credit whenever you give. Paul is encouraging the Philippians saying, you're making a difference here. Keep it up. You are making an eternal difference. So Jesus is our source of contentment. He's our source of encouragement, as is our community. What about our source of provision? Verses 18 through 20. Now remember, the Philippians were not the most well-off group of people. They had needs. When Paul writes to the Corinthians, he's talking about how much they have. When he explains who the Philippians are to them, he explains, he describes them as a people of poverty. But who's the most generous? The Philippians are. Verse 18, I have received full payment and more am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul says, I've received full payment. And more as the Philippians are sending support to them, he is overwhelmed by their generosity. In the Greek, this sounds kind of funny. He's saying, I am filled to the full. He's saying, my cup overflows by what you have done for me. He is encouraged. He is, his spiritual battery has been recharged. He has everything that he needs because of the encouragement and the partnership that they have. They've sent Paul, someone to encourage him to lift his spirits, to provide for him. He describes this as a fragrant offering, a fragrant offering and sacrifice. Now, we could spend a whole lot of time. Kids, remember, I told you to be a short sermon. I'm going to try and stick to that, so we're not going to unpack this too much. But this fragrant offering, a sacrifice that's acceptable and pleasing to God. Did you know that not all worship is pleasing to God? It's true. You can go through and read throughout the Old Testament. There's several accounts. We're going to talk about a couple of those in a moment. But when the priest would make a sacrifice, they would, man, I want you to picture like the best barbecue you could think of. That's what's happening in the temple, right? They're, they're slaying goats and calves, all kinds of things. And they're, they're lighting them on fire. And there's an aroma that it's a picture of rising to the Lord. So, right? so that's a picture of a smell, something that is fragrant to him, something that is acceptable. But what about worship that's not acceptable? Well, this same kind of offering uh, was done by King Saul as he looked out and saw the Amalekites walking towards them, and he panicked. 
And he said, I've got to make this sacrifice so that we'll have the favor of God. I would remind you, you don't have to earn the favor of God. Okay. But he goes and he makes the sacrifice out of haste. And as soon as he's done, the biblical account says the prophet Samuel shows up. Samuel was not happy with Saul. He was angry because Saul didn't do the sacrifice the way that God told them to do the sacrifice. Samuel was supposed to be the one who was present. And Samuel swiftly tells Saul, the presence of God is about to leave you. God's blessings are about to come away from you because you rushed the process, because you didn't trust in the Lord. In Amos chapter 5, God speaks and says that he despises the feasts that the people are doing in the name of the Lord, and they are having these solemn assemblies. He says, you have so lost sight of the purpose of why you're gathering together that your worship is not good. I'd rather you go and do something else. How would you like for God to say that to you? I'd rather you go do something else than try and show up and worship. But the Philippians are not supporting Paul so that they can have some kind of recognition, right? They don't send him a check and say, man, you're going to take that. You're going to put my name on a plaque and stick it up on the wall of remembering Paul's ministry. No, that's not why they do what they do. They send aid to him to encourage him. They sacrifice in order to do this. And Paul says that it is a sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. They're trying to further the gospel. The focus is not on themselves. Their focus is on Jesus. Verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is not a statement of God meeting all your wants. Sorry, boys and girls. I know Christmas is coming up. God isn't going to wave his finger and you're going to get everything on your list, okay? That's not how this, that's not what this verse is saying. There's people out there who will tell you it is. There's people out there who belittle the blessings of God to get in a good parking spot at a department store. Let's not be those people and let's recognize that our God is so much greater than a small circumstance like that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is explaining who the Philippians are. And he tells them that they are people of poverty, they have material needs, but out of the graciousness of their hearts, out of the graciousness of their hearts, they see a need that Paul has and they meet it. So Paul responds to them and says, God will supply every what? Every need of yours, according to his riches and glory. God richly bestows on us blessings that we don't deserve. Yet somehow we confuse ourselves into thinking that God needs to give us something else. If God never blessed us again, he's done more than enough. He sent Jesus. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were dead in our trespasses, Christ died for us. We are able to experience life, and that is the grace and mercy of God that he extends to us. But remember, that goes beyond salvation. God continues to give us grace and mercy every single day. Lamentations chapter three, your mercies are new every morning, and we are in need of the mercy of God today. So God gives us joy, grace, mercy, encouragement. He supplies the grace and the needs that we have to advance the gospel. Too often we have a budget mindset on what God is capable of. Do you know God's not in heaven trying to balance the checkbook of the blessings that he gives you? 
That's not about prosperity. That's about meeting your needs and growing you up in the ways of the Lord, meeting the needs that you have. His infinite riches are able to lavish on us time and time again. So let's not use words like just when we pray, God, if you would just do this. He can. He can. If we're praying like that, we need to go pray the prayer in Mark chapter 9 whenever the Father said, oh, if you could just heal my son. And Jesus says, just. I can do more than that. And he says, oh, Lord, forgive me of my unbelief. Maybe some of us need to repent of our unbelief today and be reminded that our God is greater than any circumstance that we can see. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The Philippians went above and beyond what they needed to do. And we should be thankful that God goes above and beyond what we need. This week, I was reading a book about anxiety for seminary. I was writing a paper Thursday night. I pulled out my laptop to start working on it. The file corrupted, and I started becoming anxious about writing the paper on anxiety. We found it. We got it done. It was okay. A lot of work went into that, and then it just vanished. Thankfully, my wife was able to help me find it. We're okay. Everything was good. But in that book, the author was talking about the source of anxiety, and I just thought it was was really enlightening. Okay, of course, this is from a Christian perspective, and he says that anxiety happens whenever we see something or we experience something in life, whether it's internal, you may have conversations with yourself and get into a point where you have trouble making decisions, right? That's based out of anxiety, or external and interpersonal interactions that we have with dealing with other people. And when we can't resolve with our mind what's happening in the moment, anxiety happens. Anxiety happens, right? So we can all confess that at moments we're anxious. Paul even says that in here. I am anxious of the churches that are having, he's worried about the people, okay? It's okay for us to be anxious from time to time. We just need to know what to do with it whenever we have it. To cast all of our cares on him because he cares for us. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, right? The source is not within us. It is in the Lord. But so many of us are so hard on ourselves that we treat ourselves more poorly than God views us. We have to be so careful to recognize that the mercy and grace that God extends to us is so powerful. It's so powerful. That's not an excuse for us to go and live in sin, but it's a command that we need to do what Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, and throw off that weight and that hindrance of sin and be surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses to be encouraged. God in his great mercy, because of his great love, made us alive though we were dead. When we remind ourselves of that time and time again, that's really the cure for those anxious feelings that we experience. He's the one who supplies all of our needs according to his riches and his glory. The source of hope is not within yourself. The source of contentment is not in working harder or doing more things. The source of contentment is in Jesus Christ alone. Reminding ourselves of his goodness and grace, even when life seems out of control. Through him, we find contentment. Through him and through brothers and sisters in Christ, we find encouragement, but Jesus is our provision. Would you bow your heads with me?